satisfied. Guy you want in your corner. Imagine a giant cockroach with unlimited strength and a real short temper. James Strait. Telling it like it is. Straight. My friends call me Jim. Please call me Jim. It's uh, October 25th in uh, 2009 here in the Delaware Valley. It is extraordinary weather. Yesterday it was ugly. It was rainy. It was a little bit, uh, actually it's fairly warm, but it was just so much rain it kind of took the fun out of the day. I did get out on my bicycle anyway, but today made up for it. It was gorgeous. I saw more cyclists out today than I had any other day of the season so far this year in 2009. Everybody taking advantage of the the extraordinary weather. Um, tonight we're going to be talking about um, stuff that you know everybody's heard about for the last oh, 55 years or so. The topic tonight will be UFOs and all things associated with UFOs. And kind of sort of on that topic, let me talk for just a minute about something current. Balloon Boy. <laughs> you know, it seems that uh, Balloons Boy, uh, Balloon Boy's mom and dad, air quotes mom and dad, uh, have admitted to advancing a hoax against the American people. Well, because of modern-era real-time communications and the desire of every network to, to milk an event for as much circus appeal as possible, the full arrogance associated with that ridiculous hoax is literally off the charts. Just quickly try to calculate the hours of human tension that the moron parents, air quotes again, parents, uh, try to add that cumulative stress caused across the nation and maybe across portions of the world by these you know, publicity-seeking cretins. Um, how do you place a value on hours of heart-wrenching angst? I know my heart was wrenched when I heard this. I mean, I, you know, I flew airplanes for 30 years, and I've got 2,800 skydives. I know what it is to fall out of something. To think of that little boy, you know, being ascending in this ridiculous contraption that kind of sort of looks like a UFO, and then falling out of it to his death. Well, you know, it's just a horrendous, horrible thought to have to live with for a couple of hours while this, you know, this circus is happening on what is, was global television. So you know, it's beyond me how parents of small children can, can utilize them as promotional pawns. Life is simple. Life is a series of memories. There are short-term memories, uh, you know, the, the, the fluid memories that allow us to live second to second with our brains processing what we just heard or saw or felt and, and tasted. And those short-term memories fortunately fade into a blur that is, that is real-time life. But there are also long-term memories, memories of special events and places and things and people. And, you know, there, there are good long-term memories. And memories like... Um, uh, maybe the first time a, a teacher complimented you, and it would just you know stood out in your mind. Man, I feel really good about being in the educational process at the moment. Or maybe uh, there was a bad memory, a long-term memory. Maybe you broke your arm, or you cut your leg, or you fell off a ladder, or something, or something worse. But those are you know painful physical memories. And fortunately for us, you know the painful physical memories kind of fade away. We just file them under the note to self, don't do that again file. But long-term memories that are, that are made uh, long-term because of intense emotional connections, those are the memories that we, we can all cherish, you know, how we loved our, our childhood dog or the, the intensity of our first youthful crush or the first kiss. Or for me, it was maybe that first Little League home run in the bottom of the ninth. So, uh, you know, that kind of stuff... Uh, is the stuff that we yearn for. We want more of those kind of long-term feelings. So I wonder, what are the memories that Balloon Boy will carry with him about this hoax promoted by his, again, air quotes, father and mother? His dad, man, I say, I'm, I'm using these words like, you know, parent and mom and dad and all the, the, the terms don't apply to these people, but, uh, you know, they did reproduce and, and create children and you know they're you know supposedly responsible for the, the welfare of these kids but you know his dad is operating uh in a world where level and plum don't mean anything you know he's an he he uh you know and kids really don't get to choose their parents and you know poor balloon boy <laughs> is stuck with with what he's got but um it's it's a, a sad sad moment uh for balloon boy it's a sad moment for those of us who had to watch this fiasco and as a person who went out of his way to be an extraordinary parent, and I think I did such, I will die a success because of the way my children turned out. 
I'm really pissed off at Balloon Boy's parents. But, uh, you know, Balloon Boy was, you know, supposedly aloft in something that looked a lot like a UFO. And, uh, but then, you know, uh, what doesn't look like a UFO? Anything can look like a UFO. If it's in the sky, you can't identify it. It's flying. Well, it's an unidentified flying object. It's a UFO. Well, fortunately for, night, for us, tonight, um, just before Halloween, we're going to talk UFOs, aliens, vortex portals, flying triangles, cattle mutilations, crop circles. Uh, what else? Uh, star children, the Drake equation, and, and some other stuff. And it's not going to be just me relating UFO stories from, from my book, and it's uh, because there's a bunch of them in there. But tonight I have a special guest, one that I'm sure you're fascinating, Joe Montaldo. Joe is a UFO investigator with a deep history of seeking the, the truth about the things that haunt our skies, about which there are no straightforward explanations. Joe has uh, an extensive web presence at uh, www.icar1.com. I'll give that web address out again later in the program. But the site is comprehensive, and well, maybe it's just we'll just introduce Joe and let him tell you about it. Joe, welcome to the program. Oh, well, thanks for having me on, man. I always enjoy coming on and talking about this ridiculous subject matter. <laughs> hey, Joe, uh, you know, one, one man's, you know, ridiculous uh, thing is another man's uh, serious uh, pursuit. You mean, I mean, I, I flew airplanes for 30 years. I've got, I've got uh, probably 10,000 hours flying at night. Over that 30-year period, I never saw anything in the sky that I couldn't, you know, understand or, or well, that, know, that's, you know, well, don't feel alone. I mean, I, I know quite a lot of pilots. I uh, have degrees in avionics and advanced electronics right. and, and, uh, from when I was in the U.S. Navy. And what interested me is I would say probably one out of every 15 pilots I met in the Navy, maybe one out of every 12 had seen something. But even they weren't going to say it was an alien craft. Yeah. Well, it, it seemed to do stuff that we couldn't uh but I've got to be honest with you, the cases for me, as far as pilots were concerned, were doing World War II, mm-hmm. uh, because we had pilots from seven different air forces reporting the same things, flying around their planes. And I just, I mean, we had enemies and, 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 uh, and allies all reporting the same things, flying around their planes. So those, and we had lots of pilots, I think more than 100 of them, reported the food fighters back in World War II. So those kind of sightings I find very significant, because no one ever claimed them to this day. As far as I know, to this day, we have nothing that can still maneuver the way they did in 1943 and 1944. So you got to wonder what the hell were they? It's probably those pesky Germans in their fancy jet airplanes, you know. Hey, you know, that's, they tried to put it off on that, but <laughs> I remember hearing some of the pilots giving descriptions of them. It's one of the things that actually got me interested in this field because they were talking, and I'm thinking, let me see, the thing was circling around the craft while the craft was moving and then darting straight up, darting straight down, and then stopping and hovering over the craft while the craft was moving and just dropping away and disappearing i'm thinking lord uh if the germans had that kind of uh aircraft we'd have lost we'd all been goose stepping here in america now and that sounds Um, like some guys i used to fly with actually so they uh they they got some they got some interesting (laughs) stuff out there and pilots are great great witnesses sure uh the the ones we have commercial airline we have military uh we have just everyday pilots i had quite a few friends that fly i did quite a lot of skydiving myself when i was young right and i learned in covington tennessee is where i actually made my first jump Mm -hmm. and um the thing about it is, is, is some of the, some of the guys swear, and I know guys, veteran pilots, forty years in the air, never seen anything, yeah. never seen anything they couldn't explain away, and uh, and and see, I like talking to them because they'll have like their best friend sitting next to them that said, well, you know, I was on flight was seven eighty one coming back from Arizona and seeing this, and, and they'll get to talking about it, and they're talking about it like it happened, you know, like everyone had seen it and it happened. There's, there's no question in the pilot's integrity in what he's saying. The question is, what did he actually see? Right. Uh, was it some kind of alien craft? And, and UFO is such, I don't know why everyone assumes when they hear the word unidentified flying object or the acronym uh, that we mean alien craft. It means just that, unidentified flying object. Right. Um, I, I could not tell you how many legitimate alien craft have been identified. That's a tough one. <laughs> yeah, it would be, wouldn't it? Yeah. If we want to count contactees, I'm sure there's a few. But other than that, uh, there's one military case and two military cases in Washington State where you have several army people saying that they came and landed on an airstrip up there. But other than that, I can't think of anything I would consider to be uh, legitimate in, in the fact that I saw an alien craft. Maybe, no, not even them. Sorry, I was going to go somewhere else. I believe <laughs> hey, hey, Joe, what got you started? What, uh, you know? Uh... Actually, I got out of the Navy, 
And by the way, I was in the Navy. I had lots of pilots telling me about seeing stuff while I was in the Navy. But really and truly, I was 18. I was really more interested in other things, and, and which I won't get into, but I was interested in other things. But uh, I got out of the Navy. I, I got back to New Orleans. Um, I was working with some friends of mine, and uh, I met this woman, uh, very bright, owned her own business, uh, very articulate, really had her stuff together. And we were at a party one night, and I screwed up about a 150 IQ. She tells me aliens are abducting. Well, i got to say, man, I started laughing. I, I mean, I didn't mean to be rude, but I really, I started laughing. I'm thinking, well, sweetie, you, you really need to seek help. And a couple of months passed, and I'm thinking, why in the hell would she tell me this? You know what I mean? Is she just that crazy? I mean, in every other aspect of her life, her kids, her family, her jobs, her career, everything was just perfect. I mean, she was the perfect American dream. And I was like, well, what the hell? Uh, I met a few other people. I met a, a, a police officer that said he had had, uh, had had an experience with aliens near uh, the NASA facility. And then a couple other people after that, and I'm like, and these were just everyday people in different walks of life. Um, you know, some, well, one of them, well, two of them were lawyers, which kind of freaked me out a little bit because I'm thinking, where in the hell would the alien want to abduct a lawyer? Other than the torture him, I couldn't see any reason to pick one up. Uh, we had one that was actually a doctor. I like uh, you, Joe. Uh, two nurses, well, <laughs> lawyers and me just don't get along. Uh, two nurses and three very professionals, and one was a politician. And everybody here in this group had something to lose if this would have got out and went and sure. became public. Yeah. It would have definitely hurt them in their careers, probably in their family. So I couldn't understand for the life of me why they were insisting this was happening. Well, I'm not a big fan of regression of hypnosis. I, I really think that. You can do more damage there, and then you can do good if it's not handled correctly. So we try to recover memories through a lot of different different types of therapy. We work with a lot of professionals to help recover them, but um, a lot of these people had full recollection. So we started stress analysis and doing lie detector tests on voice stress analysis, lie detector, which is another form, uh, just to see. Uh, best we could tell them, these people weren't lying. Um, they, uh, everything they seemed to pass. Couldn't see any real reason. So I said, well, you know what? I said, I, I'm not going to take them at face value, even though they seem to check out and everything seems to be legit. For about another 10 years, I spent just digging, dabbling, asking questions, talking to people who may have had contact or had sightings uh, or experiences or things like that. Along the way, because we were dealing with such a heavy volume of contactees or supposed contactees because they weren't all contactees, uh, we started having just weird experiences happen from time to time. Uh, we were coming back from uh, Mississippi in a case. We were down in, in um, Dolphin Island, Alabama, on an investigation. We were coming back, seeing a black triangle. was actually on the phone with my state director at the time while all this was going on. Uh, had two military cars show up, kind of to escort us out of the area, which was just odd. But I've actually had, like, the military, or I don't know if you want to call them military, but we'll just say white SUVs with tinted windows and guys in gray suits and military IDs yeah, come up to job sites because I own a construction company yeah. and actually want to talk to me about either things I've said on the air yeah. or things we were currently working on. I've actually been warned at least three occasions not to talk about alien agendas on the air. <laughs> and, and, you know, you like... give it away. <laughs> you know, well, you've you got to be like, what the hell? You know, you, you, you got to be like, what the hell is this, man? Am I just, and I would have just thought I was cracking up, to be totally honest with you, mm-hmm. but uh, there was 22 guys working the crew the first day they showed up. And these are big, ugly, nasty contractors guys. And let me tell you what, they weren't real happy that these guys were pulling their guns. Uh, they all came off the roof. All of them came down. All of them came down and, and, and came down there. And it, the thing of it is, even today they're willing to testify. So you guys had a testosterone standoff, huh? Well, no, it's just weird. I mean, you got to understand from my point of view, I was on a radio show tonight, two nights before, yeah. talking about just random stuff. Sure. And uh, I'm on a job site the next day fixing a roof after a rainstorm the day before. This is just, matter of fact, not long before 911. And um, I'm out there working on the roof, doing, you know, just doing my own normal thing, watching the guys, bitching at them, stuff like that. And uh, this, this SUV pulls up, and these guys get it. I mean, they're obviously fed. You can look at them and tell they're obviously some kind of fed. Uh, and they're pointing at the roof and, you know, waving their finger at you, pulling down, thinking, uh, so I'm looking around the roof and saying, which one of you guys are in trouble with the feds? Because I'm kind of curious. I mean, who's in here? Somebody's going to get their ass, maybe it was the IRS or something like that, coming out to, to get one of these guys. Some of these guys make good money. And uh, lo and behold, when I finally went down there and they were telling me what they were there for, I was just kind of floored. Oops. Uh, and, and I still, even today, kind of takes me back a little yeah. bit. Cause, well, you know, was, at sure. the time, I was still teetering on the edge of, 
what may be real, what may not be real, what may just be, you know, wishful thinking or, or harassment or what have you, uh, and these guys show up at a job site. Yeah. Well, you know, some very serious people um, have seen UFOs and have, you know, come uh, public with what they've seen. Uh, Joe, I wrote a book called Weird Missouri, and, and I spent eight weeks in Missouri, traveled 8,000 miles, met hundreds of people, interviewed probably, I'm going to say, 25 people about UFO-specific type stories. And I met a fellow in southern Missouri. Uh, actually, I wasn't on my way to see him. I was on my way to see somebody else, but I drove past his property, and he had this amazing collection of steel-wheeled farm tractors out front. So I decided I was going to turn around and go back and, and see what that was about. When I drove down his driveway, he happened to be coming out of his house. I introduced myself. Uh, he shook my hand. We started talking, and uh, he wanted to show me his uh, bed and breakfast. So we went to the bed and breakfast, and uh, he was showing me around, and we're talking for about half an hour. And I, I got the sense that we, I had learned about everything I wanted to learn. And I, was, I think he sensed that I was about ready to take my leave, and he says, Listen, I want to tell you something. He says, I, I don't know what it is about you. I, I, I trust you, and I want to tell you something. I hope you don't think I'm crazy because I'm the vice president of a bank down here in my community. I've been with a bank for over 30 years. He said, I own a 450-acre cattle ranch just down the street here. But for the last 25 years, I've been seeing UFOs. I've been seeing lights in the sky. <laughs> I said, I'm very glad you told me because this is exactly the kind of stories I'm here to, to discover. So he goes on to tell me about all the, st uh, the, the lights in the skies that he sees. In fact, they see them so frequently, they're so predictable, that they built a special deck on the back of the house where they have barbecues and people come over and have barbecue while watching the lights in the sky. And then he says, well, I have um, hundreds of photographs of the lights in the sky. So we go in the house and he drags out a couple tubs full of photographs that sure enough have a whole variety of, of uh, different shaped lights in the sky. And I took photographs of them and we talked for about two hours. Uh, the fellow is uh, a completely responsible, uh, serious human being, but he is seeing lights in the sky that he cannot account for. He cannot explain them. And he says what typically happens is what they call the mothership comes out, uh, is a very bright beacon in the sky, the night sky. Then about uh, 15 or 16 smaller uh, ships will seem to just fall out of it, and then all of a sudden they go off to all points of the compass. The mothership goes away, and he said, like clockwork, within five minutes, Air Force interceptors are overhead. And um, so here's a fellow who, you know, is a very upright, serious guy in the community who has seen these things and uh, is, you know, very open now about coming out with, uh, about them because they're so predictable. No explanation for it. But, and he says, I don't believe in, in aliens necessarily, but I do believe in what I'm seeing. This is not my imagination. I'm seeing these things. In fact, he's actually had crop circles on his property and I have photographs of his, his crop circles. So, you know, there are, you know, some very serious people like you, you've mentioned who uh, uh, are willing to come out and, you know, put their, their reputation on the line. And, uh, Joe, I know that you are a serious guy, and you've got a lot of time and, and effort and money invested in the, the investigations of the, the unexplained. And when we I have to take a commercial break here, Joe, but when we come back, I want you to tell us about Star Children. Uh, First Town, New Jersey is a quaint village on northern De uh, the northern Delaware River, famous for its history, frequent celebrations, artistic population, and the Frenchtown Cafe. The Frenchtown Cafe is well known for its excellent food, friendly and efficient staff, and its owner, restaurateur, Ros Rosella Calero. The food and atmosphere at the Frenchtown Cafe are frequently featured in publications like Esquire Magazine, the Asbury Free Press, and Hundred in Life, to name a few. Open for breakfast and lunch seven days per week with hours of operation 7 a.m. to 3 p.m. The diverse menu, delicious daily specials, and yummy baked goods, many of which are prepared in-house by Rosella herself, are worth the drive no matter where you live. The Frenchtown Cafe. Tell them that uh, Jim Strait sent you. Okay, uh, Joe, Star Children. Tell me about Star Children. Oh, man, that, that, <laughs> that's right whole show itself. Um, for me and most of the people I work with at ICAR, uh, Star Children are simply children of contactees. Uh, that's, that's what we consider them to be now. There's several other groups out there that, you know, we'll talk about indigo children and so on and so forth. And, and try to label each one of these child with special abilities or special powers or, or things along those lines. But to be honest, most of what I've seen over the years, um, contactees and their children seem to be empathic, uh, quite empathic, actually. Uh, almost everyone we've ever encountered are, are at least empathic. Some of them even seem to, 
possess at least some uh, type, some some forms of telepathy. But um, so you know, and we do see it get stronger in each generation of child. So we really just consider the children of the contactees from that generation that following children to be star children because you know um, now some people and some of the organizations that that are out there along with some of the more famous abduction researchers like David Jacobs and, and Bud and a few others uh, lump some of the star children into hybrids as far as I know there's no hybrids walking around on planet earth uh, I, I, I can't swear that I couldn't contest and say could I prove it no I couldn't but uh, as far as we know, there's not. I mean, there's some really weird accounts we've heard of, of encounters uh, with uh, men in gray or men in black or men in white, whatever you want to call them, because they seem to be changing their colors these days for some reason. But um, there seems to be those types of encounters. But the star children for us are really uh, the children of contactees. And we, we track right now. Uh, we have cases. Uh, we have uh, a couple of five-generation cases, two six-generation cases, and one seven-generation case. So or a star child is the, the result of an alien impregnating a human being? Well, no, the, the star child's not. star child's just, that's just, you know, the, the mother, the father had a child, and they just happen to be contactees. Um, the ones where they say that their mother's been impregnated, and there are some cases back in the 80s where there was actually some, some, some doctors that got together and actually had some physical proof that this was going on. Um, there was a bunch, of, a bunch of women showed up pregnant, um, Three months later, they weren't pregnant. Now, the thing about it was, is it wasn't like they had had an abortion or a spontaneous abortion, or they miscarried. As far as the doctors could tell, because some of these women had it, all of them had blood work, some of them even had, had ultrasounds. As far as the doctors could tell, they had never been pregnant. The hormones were back in balance. They couldn't see any scar and tissue. Nothing seemed to be out of order. But yet, 90, 90 days earlier, they seemed to be in full-blown pregnancy. Uh, but these are well-documented cases. That's the argument that people make for uh, hybrids. They're saying those children were, had been taken and they're hybrid children. And since then, they say they've gotten more sophisticated and they just take the sperms and the eggs and, and create their own hybrids, either on a ship or off-world. There's some, some contactees agree with that. Some of them don't. Some of them say they've seen hybrids on board ship. But like I said, as far as I know, there's none running around on planet Earth. If they are, they're being closely watched, closely guarded, and they're staying out of really public areas unless it's like Charles Hall's Tall Whites out in uh, Area 53. But. So, okay, I want to come to Area 53 in a second. So, so I'm clear. A star child is the offspring of anyone who has been contacted by an alien. Yeah, and, and, and the, the main reason we say that is is because contacts run in generations. They're not random. Uh, contactees, it runs in family lines. If we didn't know better, you could say it was a disease almost because you can track it back in family lines many, 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 many generations. Uh, best we can figure right now... If what the Sumerians, the Dogon, and the Egyptians say are true, this started at least 6,000 years ago. At least 6,000 years ago. Uh, so when you start tracking contactees and, and moving forward, it actually gets into quite a lot of them. Um, quite a family nobody tree. Nobody knows what they're up to. Yeah, it sounds like it would be quite a family tree. Yeah. Um, well, do you have any, uh, I mean, are there files, are there names and addresses of these people, or do you just, is that kept tightly, is that a closely held secret, or is it, something that you know about and you're sure of it but you can't point to any of them well for me this is originally i uh was with mufon oh god 10 15 about 15 years ago mm. and i had did a, a research program with about seven or i was actually about nine other directors we had pooled about five thousand cases we had found around the world and uh and actually made some abduction criteria since then with i call we've probably pooled another five or six thousand cases so it gives us you know a, a nice big crisp case we can we can look at, we have these people's names, we know what their professions are, uh, we can see their family trees, we, you know, we've got documentation uh, well, for some of the great-great-grandparents where they had wrote in their journals or their diaries, you know, before they died about uh, experiences they had. So we can actually track this back in family lines, like I said, five, six, seven generations. And some of them even go back further than that where they have diaries and stuff that, that date back 100-plus years. So we can see it in each family, and we know that, Okay, the mom and the dad get married, they have three kids. Well, the three kids get married, they have three more kids. That's nine. That's 12 total now. Well, those 12 are going to have kids again. Next thing you know, you're talking five, six hundred, a thousand years go past, you're talking 20,000, 30,000. Do do, what's the purpose of the star children? Are, do, is the, the thinking that they are a slightly improved human? Or are they gradually trying to alter the DNA for improvement? Or, or what, what's the, the thinking there? Well, it's an interesting question. In the 2000 census, the United States 
found out there's a group of children in the United States that seem they they particularly like to hang out with themselves. Uh, they seem to be very bright, very smart, very fast, uh, really articulate in several of the electronics and software areas. Uh, but again, they they're very in the point they're they're social, but they prefer to hang out with themselves. Well, the only thing that we could find in common with any of these children is that their parents were contactees. So I was wondering what the government, you know, because we've actually tried to ask several officials about it. And of course, they just ignored the hell out of us. But, uh, you know, because here you have a group, and then, you know, some of the people, we know some of the people that were contacted actually contacted us because they freaked out that the government had contacted them. Um, and they had actually contacted us and said, you know, we're, we're contactees, and their children fit inside this group of children. Well, we know that on average a contactee's IQ is a little bit higher. Uh, it, it's a little over the average. You know, it usually runs in the 130, 140, 150 range. Uh, they do tend to be clairvoyant, uh, well, not clairvoyant, but telepathic, and all of them, as far as I can tell, are empathic. Uh, but is that an improvement, or is that something we already had that the aliens recognized six, ten thousand 10,000 years ago and started just getting these families to get it more prominent inside the family? Yeah. Uh, see, we don't know. None of us were alive back then, so nobody knows what's going on. Hmm. I would bet you good money, though, a, a good bit of what we consider to be uh, religious history would turn out to be more extraterrestrial involvement in uh, God. Forbidden history, grisly ghosts, monstrous cryptids, and harrowing folklore dominate Japan's history and culture. Mysterious Japan is a bi-weekly podcast presenting these spine-chilling horror stories, urban legends, and unbelievable histories in a campfire story format. Many of these tales have never been presented in English before. Our journey takes place where dark history and supernatural folklore collide. Mysterious Japan is produced, written, and translated by recognized Japan expert Dr. Heath Avey. Season 1 relates the unbelievable legends and ghost stories from the so-called suicide forest. Listen to Mysterious Japan for free on Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Learn more at our website at themysteriousjapan.com and be transported by unbelievable stories where the lines between reality and folklore become blurred in the shadowlands of Japan. Once again, that's themysteriousjapan.com. Well, that certainly opens up another can of worms. But uh, I want to I want to talk about physical trace evidence in a minute. But uh, you you yeah. mentioned Area 53. Everybody's familiar with Area 51, or at least most people are. What's Area 53? Area 53 is where Charles Hall was. He's a weatherman that was in the uh, Army and was stationed out there. Uh, he's just a guy who checked the weather and, and put up reports for the for the Army. That's what he did. Uh, and um, the thing about it was, is he had been out there for a while. Uh, when he was sort of introduced or, or made contact with what they call the tall white aliens that the government keeps out there. Now, in the beginning, he was the only person I'd ever known that had it. Now, he's passed pretty much every polygraph there is, but that doesn't prove anything. It just means he's convinced that he's not lying. Um, but it is an area out there where the government does a lot of different type of testing. And uh, he was talking about these, these different aliens that live in the side of this mountain out there. There's also been a lot of sightings in the particular area he's talking about. But we're going back, I think, I want to say 30 years, 20 years, 30 years. I'd actually have to go look and see, but it's going back quite a ways. But the area is still hot out there even today. Since he came forward, uh, there's been two state troopers that have come forward and also said that they were aware of these tall white aliens out there. A taxi cab driver still have no idea um, <laughs> how he knows about them, to be honest with you. And a couple other people who worked not far uh, in a, on a ranch not far from the facility have all come forward and said they have seen them. Right. But, uh, you know, what they're doing out there, it, they seem to have some type of base out there. Uh, there are, like I said, a half a dozen, three-quarter dozen witnesses to it now. And it is an area that is highly guarded and very classified. Yeah. But it's just basically another Area 51 is what it is. Yeah, you mentioned uh, flying triangles, and you, you said that you actually saw one. And Actually, I've seen, there's a, um, for, for anybody listening tonight, if you happen to be in the Gulf South, we call it the Triangle Quarter. Anybody can go see these damn things fly. Uh, and by the way, I do not think the small black triangles are alien. I have to be upfront about that now. Maybe the big huge when they said they're like the size of four aircraft carriers, they might be alien, but these other ones are not. Um, you can come down. You can uh, get yourself in, in Pensacola Gulf, Gulf Breeze, uh, Navarre Beach area. Uh, camp out down there for about a week. You'll definitely see them. 
But what they do is they leave Pensacola, probably Eglin Air Force Base, which is the largest non-nuclear testing facility in the United States. They probably leave there, fly straight up above Interstate 10, which is all wilderness and forest. They probably fly across, enter down the backside of Interstate 10, which is all forest, until they get to the Stennis NASA facility, which they've been seen out there at least two dozen times. They usually hook a left right there, cruise down to the Mishu NASA facility, which is about 70 miles as the bird flies across swamps, and nobody's hardly out there either. And then they jet back across the Gulf. Now, the way we figured all this out was is we've personally seen them at the turning point at Fort Pike and the um, in the Wrigley's area, which is the Louisiana-Mississippi uh, state line. We've also seen them at Stennis, but we've got state troopers got them on videotape flying uh, north of Interstate 10. We've got fishermen and shrimpers that have videotape of them flying south of the beach in the Gulf of Mexico. So basically, so it seems, it's, a, it's a military training and testing. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a flight pattern. Now, I've got to say, guys, whatever these things are, very advanced. they're very quiet. Uh, they tend to have the same characteristics as the U.S. Oh, as far as if you're too close and you try to get a picture. I notice if you're about two miles away and you click, you can usually make it out about a lot better. If you're inside of a mile, they tend to be blurred, suggesting there's a magnetic field, a gravitational field, or some type of field around the craft, but when you see them up close, uh, they, they, they'll they usually kill a digital watch. Uh, I, I've seen them make uh, regular watches run backwards. They'll make all the hair on your hands stand up. Four different people got weird burns on their arms, which have been photographed and analyzed and had doctors check them out. Mm. Uh, but still, and we've got, we've got reports out of the Pensacola Naval Air Station and the Pensacola Airport of these things being clocked at plus Mach 12. We've actually got the physical report. Yeah, so these so, are, these are kind know, of like the reverse-engineered alien reproduction vehicles. It may be. It may be natural progression. I don't know. Whatever it is, it's extremely advanced. And I understand why people think they're alien when they see them. They can hover. They can turn in their own axis. They can move up and down. They can dart away at high speeds. I really can understand why people get these confused. But really and truly, as far as we can tell, the small ones, which are about the size of... Maybe two F-15s or three F-15s. Well, hey, Joe, uh, if anybody from the Men in Black is listening, I can tell them straight up right now, I want one. <laughs> so do I. Uh, 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 the closest we, we ever got was when we seen uh, one that looked like it was having engine troubles uh, near Wrigley's. There's a bunch of, matter of fact, there's a bunch of people out there this night watching this thing. It was wobbling, went down in the water. We, they all in total that night, there were six of them seen. I guess they were keeping an eye on it while it was being escorted back, but... It was one of the wildest things I've ever seen. They were seen. just messing with you. They just wanted to give you something to talk about. Well, that's the night they actually, uh, the people that were out at the boat launch, they actually drove up in three white station wagons and kind of escorted them away. And then as we were leaving, one of these white station wagons zipped by the car as one was coming over, which was just weird. But, you know, hey, they didn't, like, brutalize us or anything. It's like, just get the hell out of here. We're kind of busy at the time. Which mm-hmm. Hey, it's a government project. I'm not going to get in their way. I want to be honest with you. I've been thrown off of military facilities before. It's uh, uh, and had equipment confiscated. It's not real. And you know, guys, electronics these days are expensive. Okay, you don't want to get cameras picked up or video cameras picked up or night cams picked up, especially third generation, because they're, they're at least three grand. Yeah, yeah. Hey, uh, Joe, have you have you have any involvement with uh, investigating physical trace evidence? Actually, we do. Now, a lot of that, like, you know, I was talking with Ted Phillips about this not too long ago. Right. Because I, I do consider him to be one of the, the better trace evidence. Yeah. So you know Bob There's, White, too? Yeah, Bob White, too. Yeah. And then, you know, Daryl Sim deals with the uh, uh, with the alien implants. And him and I go back and forth because some of what I, I, he says I, I do agree with him. Some of them I'm like, yeah, whatever. Okay, you've lost it. But um, I'm sure he says that about me a, a, a lot, too. But the thing of it is, is they do have tangible physical evidence you can put your hand on. There's a couple of these... I want to call them metallic pellets. They actually don't know what they are. They've actually been analyzed. Uh, a couple of different colleges analyzed them. They don't know what the hell they are. All they know is they're hard, they're resistant, uh, and they te- seem to be metallic, but as far as they can tell, it's not on the periodic table or, or anything. So uh, they've actually got the analysis of that. They, they always just put on their uh, unanalyzable, basically, is what it says. Uh, right. Uh, but, hey, Joe, Joe I'm going to tell a real quick story for the listeners to, yeah. to give them some pers- perspective. There's a fellow named Bob White. And um, a few years back, he was, actually, I think in the mid-'80s, he was driving from Denver to Colorado with a friend. And they witnessed um, what they believed was an unidentified flying object. And um, from their estimation, uh, they thought they were just a few hundred yards from the craft. But for, for reasons that, you know, known only to the folks in the craft, it decided to streak off 
And as it left, something glowing fell away from it. And uh, Bob White, you know, kept an eye on it and uh, estimated where it fell. And sure enough, he was able to walk up to this thing and pick up this artifact that fell off of this craft. Well, to his credit, um, and if I can describe it, it's kind of like a, uh, kind of has the exterior appearance of a pine cone. Uh, it's metallic, and it looks like, you know, if it were a meteor uh, streaking through the night sky as it heated, all these layers of metal would just sort of leaf back on themselves, and it's kind of like a big teardrop. But to his credit, he had it tested by, uh, I think, the National Institute of Discovery Science and some other mining technology school, and they they determined that it was a terrestrial material, which I think was trade-named Alloy 360. Now, I don't know what, that, what alloy that means, but that was what they, they said it was. But you know, he actually you know, was able to come up with a piece of you know, physical evidence that's, that validated his story. Now, whether that was you know, a uh, government craft or whether it was uh, you know, from, you know, from somewhere else, who knows? But at least he has a piece of evidence. Have you got anything similar to that or have you seen anything similar to that? Have you seen that particular piece of evidence? Well, I've seen, I've seen other things. Like, well, you know, it's interesting, the teardrop thing, because there in um, Gulf Breeze, Florida, actually, um, it was right after sightings was down there, right after Ed Walters and them. Uh, for a while there, they kept seeing these UFOs that had this, they would be hovering over the beach of the water, and it would have, like, material that looked like it was melting or coming off the bottom of the thing. When it was recovered, it turned, it turned out to be a, 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 a type of aircraft aluminum, or like an aircraft aluminum. But they were in teardrop pellet forms. They were small. They were... Probably, I don't know, maybe a quarter inch across, maybe a quarter inch round with a, maybe an eighth inch tail. Uh, they were interesting, but they were, the material itself is terrestrial based. Now, just, just by saying that doesn't mean that extraterrestrials may not use some of the same materials we do. I'm sure some of it do, uh, like stuff like fiber optics is probably a common, or silicone is probably a common material used in the, in the solar system since it's readily available anywhere in, in, in the known galaxy. But, uh, so those things might be common. And you do from time to time hear uh, areas where there was a craft that set down that you'll have. Uh, um, it's really weird, but the last five I remember, when the soil analysis were done, all had radiation, but not radiation found on a planet. Or if found on a planet, it was such a rare radiation that it, you know they were kind of wondering how it could have possibly got there. Hey, Joe, listen, I'm glad you mentioned that, that craft sitting down because uh, we're going to take a station ID and do a little commercial break. But when we come back, let's talk about crop circles and whether or not those things are formed from craft sitting down or, or from what. But anyway, you're listening to WIFI 1460 AM in Florence, New Jersey. And uh, if you are a resident of Florence, New Jersey, and you are planning your next outing and uh, – I would suggest maybe use Frenchtown, New Jersey. It's a quaint little historic little town full of artists and antique shops and nice little restaurants like the Frenchtown Cafe. And whether you want breakfast or lunch, you can't find tastier fare anywhere in Hunterton County. And a friendly staff at the Frenchtown Cafe will make you feel right at home, and uh, you get service with a smile. The smile is guaranteed. I recommend the French O's, the pancakes, eggs and bacon, fried chicken, and hamburgers. But if simple fare is not your style, then take advantage of their diverse menu. The great news is that everything on their broad primo, uh, their menu is primo eating. And after the main meal, if you want a dessert, say like a slice of homemade pie, well, there's none better, and the pies are all made in-house by Rosella Vocalero herself. Um, as a longtime customer, and I was just there this afternoon, not three hours ago, I had lunch before I came to the station, uh, I can say without hesitation that the Frenchtown Cafe is my favorite place to dine in Hunterton County and actually within probably 50 miles of my Bucks County homestead. So the, the next time you're looking for a great place to rest uh, uh, you know, the, the legs and the, the, the body after you've been driving for, for you know, some period of time, and Frenchtown is the perfect location. So stop into the Frenchtown Cafe and let Katie and Darcy and Jessica and Lindsay and all the waitresses at that uh, quaint little cafe bring you a cooler hot drink and then order the best food in Frenchtown. And please tell them that Jim Strait sent you. Okay, Joe, um, crop circles. I've seen a couple in person uh, associated with the, this fellow's farm down in, in Missouri, and crop circles have you know, cropped up, pun intended, all across the planet, and it seems that the, the, the longer they go, the more involved they become. Uh, what's your experience with crop circles? What's your explanations for them? 
You know, it, it, it's a tough one because obviously some of these crop circles are hoaxes. They're obviously even some of the really, really actually. I think probably the more involved they get, probably the more likely they are to be hoaxed. And I know the crop circles out there are going to be writing me left and right. But um, the thing about it is, is crop circles go back a long time. I don't, I don't think most people realize this, but you can crop circles date back, I think, almost 1,500 years. And they were always round circles in the crop. And they're even still to this day, you see them even in the United States, just regular, everyday round circles. Uh, these seem to be common that happen in all kinds of countries. The more evolved ones I notice happen, like in the UK, usually on the on the island itself, and occasionally one or two in the United States. Other than that, you don't hear, but but you still hear about the ordinary everyday crop circles popping up in other places. You know, I once said on the air that I thought it, if it was from aliens, if aliens were actually doing this, I don't think it was meant for us. Uh, I really think it might have been a stop sign or, or a sign saying. Hey, John, we just abducted Bob, Jill, and Kay. Don't worry about it. we got to see you all next week, same time, same place. Um, you know, I, it, it's, it's hard because humans have this thing. We're really arrogant, and we think everything is about us and everything is for us. Uh, assume that aliens are visiting the planet. Uh, I would guarantee you the abduction scenario is not about us, but about something they have in mind either for us or for themselves. Yeah, I, I don't know why we think that we can interact with aliens because we can't interact with ourselves. Yeah, and I agree. And, and you know, we're, we're, it's hard because, I mean, as humans, we're just, uh, right now we're just ignorant, but one day we'll, you know, we'll grow up, I hope. But on that notion, I mean, the thing of it is, is I don't think this is about us. And I think when if they are leaving crop circles behind, they're not trying to communicate or tell humans anything because, Frankly, they have contactees. They don't need to leave crop circles. They can pick up Jane or Joan or, or Joni or any of them and put all that information in their head and have them go out and write a book, and boom, the whole world's got it. No need or, for Or, you know, they could land in the middle of Washington, D.C., yes, and, and they could just say, hey, folks, aliens are real. Deal with it. Yeah, and, yeah. and they could. So for me, it, you know, I won't rule out that, that some of the crop circles may be made by, by alien craft for whatever reason. I'm just thinking that a lot more of them are hoaxed than even the crop circles. Well, it's, it's interesting that the elaborate crop circles uh, started showing up at the same time that GPS technology allowed um, crop circle uh, and uh, crop maze companies to create these elaborate mazes. So when yeah. you've got you know the GPS constellation hovering above the planet, allowing you to, to create a, a pattern and load that into a piece of software that controls your tractor and, and the cutting blades, you can make whatever you want. And, and I mean, I know there's some some good evidence for some of them, like the uh, the expulsion cavities on some of the crops, and the pure silicone found in some areas uh, may suggest some type of crop. But usually, uh, those aren't all usually in the fancy ones; they're usually in the round ones. So uh, well, I, I just some, think some of them are it, beautiful. Oh, some of them are absolutely stunning. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, and whether it's alien or um, Human, I think it's great that somebody's making them. To be honest with you, well, I think I, I think if it's human, I'm flattered. I think it's I'm I'm proud that a human being can create that kind of a thing. Yeah, I'm thinking he should you know offer his services professionally. <laughs> he probably does. He probably has a a corn maze uh, company on the side. Yeah, or or somebody's cutting him a little money on the side here. Go make some crop circles this week. Yeah. <laughs> it's fifty k. Go make some crop circles. Look, I don't rule out anything in today's society. But, I mean, yeah, really the more complicated ones usually show up in, in, on the island and occasionally in the States, but not really anywhere else. And the other ones you see around the world are typical just everyday crop circles. And, you know, I forgot his name now. He had actually put out that chaos theory that said it was chaotic winds that, that created him. Mm-hmm. I still don't buy that, no. by the way. But it was an interesting theory. you gotta, you got to give him credit for, for trying to put it out there. Yep. But, some of them may be alien. I mean, some of the times aliens might be resting or, or stopping in a field and, or, or, you know, needing a place to sit down for a few minutes. And I think some of them are. But as far as if they're making patterns for us, I'm not buying it, guys. <laughs> hey, Joe, it. are you familiar with the um, 1978 uh, event in Ellsbury, Missouri, where the, the cows fell through the trees? You know, that why the hell is that ringing a bell? I must be somewhere vaguely familiar with it because I, there's something... There that rings about. Maybe it's the thing. Well, Ellsbury's a little burg about uh, 50 miles north of St. Louis on the east side of the state, right next to the Mississippi River, maybe offset from the river by 10 miles or so. And in 1978, they had a lot of strange things happen in Ellsbury for a few days. And one of the strangest was a cow that they discovered lying dead beneath a, um, a tree in the middle of a field. And the cow had fallen directly through the middle of the tree. You said you could look up through the tree and see the clear path that this cow created as it fell through the tree. 
And of course, the cow had been uh, uh, opened up and all the internal uh, organs removed. And one of the other interesting things about it is, that, is that there were thousands of flies associated with this cow. And all of these flies were, were essentially molded to the cow uh, as if they'd been plasticized, you know, glued to the cow in that sense. And even along the branches of the trees, flies were essentially uh, adhered to the, the branches as if they were just, you know, plastic entities. And um, that and some other things happened in, in, in Ellsbury that for a few days. But uh, you know, it was just this one intense... A few days of activity, then it all quieted down. Nothing else ever happened again. Well, but that, that's east of the Mississippi River. No, that's Missouri. It's west of the Mississippi. Okay, but it's on I the gotcha. east side of Missouri. Okay, I got you. I got you. Uh, I thought from... you might have had some uh, something because uh, there's been no cattle mutilations east of that side of the Mississippi River. Most people don't even realize that, uh, but there hasn't been any east of the Mississippi River. That's why we think that not all of them, but a lot of the cattle. There's a couple of odd things about cattle mutilations, and Linda Moulton Howe gets mad at me for this all the time, but one, most of, almost like 90% of the mutilations happen on farms where the cows are insured. <laughs> now, now, aliens, I don't think aliens give a good blink if your cows are insured. I've got to be honest about this. Yeah. Um, also, a lot of times there's been black helicopters seen in the yeah. area. There's ones that run real quiet. Yeah. Uh, a lot of times, more times there's been helicopters seen than UFOs, and... You know, somebody told me, oh, no, we don't have that technology. I said, yeah. I said, a vacuum pump can pump a cow's blood out, especially one that's about two, uh, a two horsepower will suck a blood's cow. Well, Joe, like also, that. to anybody listening that has the, the authority and the ability to make it so, I want a black helicopter also. <laughs> yeah, I want one of the ones I've seen, the little sleek ones I've seen headed out. We were driving out to California last year, a year before last, from Laughlin. Mm. And uh, we seen one of these little sleek ones, man. It was all smooth on the sides. No mark. It's pretty. Look, I got a good picture of it too. I was like, "Damn, I want one of those." <laughs> yeah. Uh, but but the thing about it is, is see, we don't rule out that aliens might be getting some emulations. But I thought it was odd early on. That first off about that thing with the cows being insured, but secondly, where they were showing up, Missouri, uh, Colorado, New Mexico, Arizona, California, all areas that may have had water contamination from the nuclear testing done in the 40s and 50s, or in the 50s and 60s and the underground facilities out there. Yeah. Well, then, you know, another aspect of the cow that fell through the tree is that the technique for removing the inter internal organs, they said, was surgical-like, that the, yeah. the openings, uh, the, the wound had all been cauterized, and that whoever did it knew what they were doing. Well, that's what they say. They're using some type of uh, cauterizing laser to remove them. And I know everybody kept saying we didn't have the technology, but I've I seen field lasers when I was in the service in 1980. So I, I know we've had them for that long, and I'm sure if I've seen them, they probably had a classified version much earlier. Hey, Joe, so, was Roswell the first event? What do you mean first event, Mike? As in, I'm not even sure Roswell was actually alien. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, James Carey and I was listening to him, but it was something we introduced a while back that um, being, because we're abduction researchers, knowing what we know about the Greys and all, we could not understand why they would have left the craft and aliens behind. Uh, we know they can come in and take people anytime they want to without any real course or any fear from the military. So why would they have left, especially back in the day when we were building nukes and you know trying to take conquer the world? Uh, why would they have left that kind of technology with us and a means to maybe even kill them by studying some of their their uh, their people? So you, you got to kind of wonder about that. I mean, you got to take that into serious consideration because we wouldn't let the Russians keep one of our jets. We would either blew it up or destroyed it or started a damn war over it, but we wouldn't have let them keep something like a Raptor 22. We wouldn't have, we wouldn't have tolerated it. Well, you know, I, I asked you that question. I was actually kind of um, going to try to trump you, but since you were very smart and said you don't even know if Roswell was an alien event, I can tell you that I'm aware of an event uh, that was documented in uh, 1941 that took place in uh, Cape Girardeau, Missouri. And that's uh, the, the documentation is or the the... the reason it's viewed as a legitimate event is because it was uh, related on the deathbed of the Reverend William Huff Huffman. And in 1941, he was summoned uh, by local authorities to come to a crash, crash site on the premise of giving last rites to the, the victims at the crash site. And when he arrived at the crash site, there were uh, the military and the local police and the fire department and people that appeared to be, you know, official that weren't, uh, you know, in uniform. And uh, they approached him and confirmed who he was, and they said, well, we want you to come over to this crash site, 
and uh, give final rights to the you know the victims. So he went to the the up to the ship, and as soon as he got there, he said it looks something that was you know unfamiliar to him. And when he looked inside, he saw three beings that uh, he had never seen anything like them before. Clearly, uh, not of this world, or at least nothing he'd ever seen like that. And he was taken back by the the instrumentation inside and all the the uh, the wording that were on the walls of the ship seemed to be look like hieroglyphics to him. And but finally, he gave last rites, and then. Uh, the military pulled him aside, made him sign a non-disclosure agreement, swore him to secrecy. And then, of course, he goes home and immediately tells the family. <laughs> of course. <laughs> but uh, so anyway, this is the case in 1941 that is, uh, you know, supposedly testimony on your deathbed is taken as word of truth. And uh, so maybe prior to uh, Roswell, you know, if that's a truthful event, uh, Missouri was actually the first place that you can point to to say. Well, it, it yeah. Maybe, well, you know, I, I brought this point up to a fellow Roswell researcher, my friend of mine, uh, which I give hell about to this all the time. Um, I said, what happened if maybe the aliens contacted the Germans first? Because really, at the turn of the last century, the Germans were more advanced than the Americans, quite a bit more advanced. We knew Why that advanced. at the end of World War II, they were way the hell ahead of us. Um, still so, are. Yeah, and technically they still are. So. You know, and there's, you know, if you've ever read Hitler's book, Mein Kampf, he talks about these tall, white um, angels that used to come talk to him and tell him what to do. Well, I find that interesting because, you know, it's the same description they give us some of these mean-ass human-looking aliens. And what's funny about it is, is in from 1913 or 1911 to 1917, the Germans were building flying saucers, literally. They built seven of them and um, seven different prototypes. So I always found it interesting that you know we got all this data at the end and brought it over to the United States. Often wondered if if maybe we didn't have some of the craft, maybe even some craft that maybe the the uh, Germans had gotten from one of the other types of aliens to try to backward engineer. And uh, what we were doing is you know we had the Greys uh, trying to help us learn. We were crashing the damn things. What made me think about that is that Roswell. They said there's two crash sites. Um, one sounds like an escape pod. One sounds like where the main craft went down, uh, where they described these, these bodies that were pinkish and red and looked like they had been severely radiation burned, and the other one where they had seen three grays, but there wasn't a bunch of debris. It was just one craft. Well, if that was their escape craft, they need to work on their escape craft technology because it Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Well. But, but, of course, you know, they were letting ignorant humans fly. <laughs> you never know what went on there. But the point of it is, is I still, there's no reason I would see them leaving us keep those craft unless... One, they were simply uh, uh, craft that were considered way behind their current level of technology, so it's not a big deal if we got them. And if they had left uh, the the aliens behind, uh, they had they had to have known there was nothing we could learn from them because I don't see a race's inquisitive eyes. Even though we're ignorant, we're nosy and we want to learn. So if you leave us an alien and an alien craft, we're going to do everything we can to learn everything we can about it. Uh, so I just it, it, it's hard to me to buy that they just left us keep this craft, um, period. Even if even if they did crash it, it's, I just I find it hard to believe that they let us keep it. You're right. The human race is uh, an inquisitive species. Joe, are you a believer in the existence of aliens? Not a believer, man. It's not a religion to me. So it, for me, the information, the the actual tangible physical information that I've seen. The circumstantial, which is unfortunately abundant, <coughs> uh, the amount of contactees, the amount of people we've seen, and the video and, uh, and the personal stuff that I've seen personally, I have no doubt the planet's being visited, none whatsoever. Uh, now, does, does the Drake equation factor into your thinking at all? Or? Well, I find the Drake equation factors in because of some new information we have recently found. One, Can you explain to everybody what the Drake equation is? Well, the Drake equation, basically, uh, Drake is a scientist, actually, who put this together. Uh, this is to calculate how many habitable, intelligent inhabitable planets there are not. He actually incorporates inhabitable planets, but inside of that, how many intelligent uh, species there may be. Uh, currently, I think the, the last time they updated the Drake equation, it put it to one million intelligent species in the Milky Way. One million. And that's just in uh, one galaxy. And that's just in one galaxy. And by the way, that's supposedly considered a low estimate because recently uh, they upped the number of stars in our galaxy from 100 billion to 200 billion, yeah. which means the amount of life in the Drake equation either doubled or tripled. 
I, I find it interesting how we're always finding that the universe is bigger than we thought. It is, and we keep, what, the other day they just found another 34 planets. Uh, the new telescope goes up in two years where we can start finding planets the size of Earth, uh, inhabitable zone planets. Uh, and remember, we're not just looking for life like ourselves, guys. Uh, I imagine there's a variety of different types of life. At the end. And here's one for everybody, for all the naysayers. NASA, the European Space Agency, the Russian Space Agency, and even the Chinese Space Agency agree. They're pretty sure they're going to find life on Mars. They think they've already found life on Europa, okay? And they think they're going to find it on Io and two other bodies inside of our own solar system, not including Earth. So inside of our little solar system where there's about 140 terrestrial bodies, they think they're going to find life on five, six, seven occasions. And we're not talking about just simple biological life. Uh, microbiological, if they think on, on uh, was it Europa, the one that's ice and has the ocean underneath, they think they're going to find actually animals' life there. Mars, they think at one time there was an abundance of life, but today there's just microbiological life forms left on the planet. But they do think they're going to find them at the poles. And one thing that all science agrees on today, if there's an atmosphere and there's heat and there's water or ice, it's a 99.99% chance that you will find life on that planet. Uh, and if that's the case, we already know water is abundant in the universe. It's an abundant element in the universe. Uh, so we know that, you know, and thanks to Jupiter and, and Europa and all, we've learned something new, that it don't necessarily have to be the inhabitable zone of our sun. It can be the inhabitable zone of a gas giant that also breeds life on a planet. So this has actually made the Drake equation. I, I think when they said they're going to update it, it's going to be updated to either 10 or 20 million inhab uh, intelligent life planets in our galaxy. Soon we're going to find out that even... Uh, I think we're going to find out something. I, I think, uh, as far as our government's concerned, I think they already know. And I think, and, and I talked to two of my friends at SETI a while back, they're pretty sure they know. They just they just know they can't come out with it. It, it could explain why Obama's not making good on any of his, his uh, campaign promises. Oh, Obama. He, got, he got the briefing and said, what's the point? <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting you brought that up. I don't know how many of y'all saw this. Obama went into the Pentagon for his military briefing. Uh, it was like three days after his inauguration. And um, he was dark, dark-headed when he went in. They showed him coming out after the thing. They showed him, right? Guys, he was gray-headed. Now, the reason I bring this up because I thought this was funny. Because, you know, Clinton went gray-headed pretty fast when he got in. They all do, man. And, uh, but I thought it was funny the next morning when I seen him doing his speech, he was dark-headed again. The SOB went and dyed his hair. I think he's the first president to ever dye his hair, guys, at least. On television, uh, I, I just thought it was one of the funniest things I ever said. I'm thinking, oh my god! And then since then, you know, he's been on TV so many times. I think he thinks he's a rock star. I don't think he, I think somebody lied to him. Yeah, said, well, no, there's man, no doubt. Uh, you're going to be the president of the rock star union, not the United States. I, I don't know. I, I, I think we're in deep boo boo. That's all I can say. Uh, and something needs to give sooner. Well, yeah, the, the United States and the world is in uh, you know a difficult moment and. Um, but, you know, maybe the aliens will come save the day. You know, it's uh, you it's know time what? for their arrival. Are you a 2012 guy? Uh, I think 2012 is just going to be like 2000, uh, 1999 and 2000. Jerry, <laughs> I like you more all the time. I, I get in trouble in ufology a lot, man, because I, 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 I do think the planet's being visited, and I do think there's evidence for it, but I do think that a good bit of this is just nonsense, and I get in trouble for it all the time. Yeah, well, no, I think 2012 is going to come and go just like you said, 1990. Yeah, and besides, if you're going to pick a bad lucky year, let's go, let's go 13-13, all right? You know, oh, we can't go 13. Yeah, we can go like January 13, 2013, January 13th. There y'all go. There, there's one for y'all, you know, 13-13. Too bad we don't have the Mayan calendar. We could have did 13-13-13 because they had 13 months. Uh, I, I really don't. I, I don't think it's going to be anything significant unless... NASA's lying about these solar flares because in 2011 it's supposed to be the most intense solar flares ever to lap the planet since there's been life on it. Yeah. Uh, they said it's going to be bad. It's going to probably knock out a lot of electronics and destroy a lot of crap but not kill anyone or maim or you know, kill crops or anything like that. So as long as they're not lying, I think 2012 is going to be fairly uninventful. Joe, NASA lie? A, gover <laughs> a government okay. bureaucracy lie? Right. Come on. Yeah, ever since they... Did, I, I, did you ever see the STS, what is it, STS-41 video? No. I always find this video interesting for two reasons. One, it appears that someone at the ground is shooting at a UFO moving away from the space shuttle. That is cool in itself. But the actual damning evidence was not the actual video. 
It was the actual fact that the next day, NASA put in a seven-second delay on all video feeds, all live video feeds. And that was why, because a couple of guys at home had their VCRs on. Y'all know what VCRs are. I know everybody uses DVR now, but, you know, VCRs uh, with the tape had them on and actually got this on videotape, and it's been put all over the Internet since then. Yeah. Uh, so since that sighting, NASA has gone to a seven-second delay. There's no more of that. Well, you there know? you go. There's proof positive that they're hiding something. Yeah, but, of course, what is it that they're hiding? Yeah, who knows? Hey, Joe, listen. It's been great. The hour went fast. I think probably everybody listening had a good time. Uh, they probably got some useful information. And, you know, it's up to everybody to make up their own mind. You know, it is what it is. If the aliens are here, there's nothing we can do about it. We can only be polite to them when they introduce themselves and uh, hope for the best. Well, uh, thanks for having me on, man. I had a good time. Okay, Joe. Good night. Okay, everybody, that was Joe Montano. He's you know, a UFO guy. And the problem with we humans is 